overall Passion Conference is this uh, outstanding gathering of believers and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. It really challenges people out of their comfort zones in multiple different ways. It's just where, pe where people can go to grow in their faith. Um, just another outlet for that. My biggest takeaway was probably when Beth Moore and Francis Chan were talking about um, doing what you're called to do. I want to go into missions, uh, global missions. Getting 55,000 college students to commit to anything is incredible and then watching them all and hear them all worship together and listen to the, the testimonies was just, just a true testament to who our God is. Every year, Passion Conference gives college students an opportunity to be extremely generous. Um, and this year, they partnered with Compassion International to fully support three countries of um, children living in po poverty. And the three countries that we were planning to support were El Salvador, Rwanda, and Tanzania. Um, but the, the generosity of these college students was so big that we ended up fully supporting a fourth country, Indonesia, and um, also uh, beginning uh, supporting Bolivia, and Bolivia is halfway supported too. So Compassion has four and a half more countries of children fully supported um, with food, clean water, medical care, education, and they get to hear the gospel. I would like to thank First Christian for giving us the opportunity to go on this trip. I want to thank First Christian Church because honestly it's been life-changing just to be here but then to have the help to go to Passion and what it's done for my life just since then has been amazing and I will be grateful forever. Pretty cool stuff, yes? A great example of what it does look like for us uh, and what I love about this, what I would say, a multi-generational church to be devoted together. Well, um, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible of your own here with you today, you should be able to find one in the pew rack in front of you here in the West Auditorium. And those for the East Auditorium, glad you're here today as well. There's some folks walking around with some Bibles that you can use uh, today. And in either space, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we would invite you to take that uh, as a gift from us to you so you can have a Bible of your own because we think it's better with you than it is sitting in the pew racks and on shelves uh, the other six days of the week. So... Um, well, as you turn there today, uh, if it's maybe your first time with us uh, and you're wondering, uh, the answer to the question you may be asking in your head is no. No, we do not typically preach around here in athletic wear. That is not the norm. But I thought I'd take a moment just to share a few of the things that Santa got me for Christmas. So I got this, uh, this new athletic shirt, these uh, nice athletic pants here, and these new running shoes right there. Um, it's a little early in the morning for that move. Uh, 
Actually, these did not come from Santa, but uh, these three, you could say, related items uh, actually came, uh, these three different items came from three different people, yet all related to me in my life, which coming from these different avenues, I started to ask myself, coming from Christmas, going into New Year, are they dropping some sort of hint about what I should be focusing my resolutions on? Uh, Should I be thinking about some sort of fitness goals or something with all these things that were coming my way? Well, it's a few weeks in, and New Year's has come and gone, and statistically, uh, depending on which study you look at, so have your resolutions. Uh, They say at this point in the year, 50% of the New Year's resolutions have come uh, to a screeching halt, and that by the second week of February here, in just a few weeks, it's said that 80% of the New Year's resolutions uh, will come to a close. I read an article in the New York Post that revealed how when it comes to being able to track people's New Year's resolutions, that the applications that are on our smartphones, they can actually, it's changed the way that they can track our consumer habits. Uh, And it reveals how in February, the buying habits of consumers dramatically shifts from that in the early part of January. For example, ice cream sales. Ice cream sales go up 15% in the first few weeks of February as compared to January. Pizza sales go up 35% in the early part of February as compared to January. And then other metrics on applications regarding like check-in apps where you can kind of recognize where you are in the community, you can actually check in physically where you're at, that uh, like Foursquare and things of that nature. Uh, They reveal that the number of check-ins to fitness centers drops while the number of check-ins at fast food restaurants uh, increases in the beginning of February as compared to January. The the bar graph kind of flip-flops. And why is this? We know why this is. Because at the beginning of January, we start off a new year with some new intentions, with some good intentions that it's easy to start off strong, but by February, we begin to drag a bit. We begin to wane and grow weary in our new commitments. Well, the reality is, this is often true in our spiritual journey as well. That We can start off strong in our devotion to Jesus Christ and the work of his church, but all too often, something can then happen. Uh, We grow weary, maybe something discourages us, maybe there's things that are distracting us in our devotion to Jesus Christ, we begin to grow weary. Well, the book of Hebrews in the Bible speaks specifically to how we can not just get off to um, a great start in our Christian faith and our Christian journey, but that we can actually, uh, how to stay in the race for the long haul. That the Christian life is not meant to be a sprint, but more of a marathon. And it's a marathon that we run in support together with one another, the church. And so I invite you to look at that in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one. It describes the Christian life and the long journey in this way. It says, therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and what this is referring to, this cloud of witnesses, is really talking about those who have gone before us, those who have run their spiritual race well. And so now we stand on their shoulders, or you could say we are receiving the baton and continuing the race that they've started and that they've completed in their lives. And so now we're moving forward with that. And it says in that race, it goes on in Hebrews 12, 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And so when it comes to our race in our devotion to Jesus Christ, it's not just about putting one foot in front of the other, but it also includes getting things out of the way, the distractions, the things that are entangling us or tripping us up in our devotion to Jesus Christ. 
And the writer of Hebrews goes on to directly speak to this idea of a race metaphor as he goes on saying this. He says, now let us run. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You see, that captures what this series of this idea of being devoted together is all about. That we are first devoted. We are devoted to, we are devoted to fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the pioneer, or in other translations it says the author, the trailblazer, the definer of who our faith and what our faith is, and ultimately the perfecter of it. And that secondly, we have that devotion together. We notice as we read in Hebrews that it doesn't say, let me, let me run the race. No, it's plural. It says, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And so this sermon series is all about how do we do this? How do we run this race of devotion to Jesus Christ? And how do we do that together as his church? And really, as we've taken this phrase, devoted together, that comes from why we exist as a church to the, you know, I guess you could say the title of this series, it's a phrase that we believe best represents uh, what, depending on your church background, um, might otherwise be called church membership. As really the word membership, as it's served in churches here and everywhere else, is that it, it really comes down to, it's just the best word out of honestly not a lot of great words that describe what it means for us to be devoted together as a church. Uh, And in some ways, it's almost easier to describe what church membership is by describing what it's not. Uh, And that first of all, church membership isn't maybe how we think of membership in other spaces. Like it's not a, it's not a warehouse club membership, like Sam's Club. It's not a, it's not a membership to Sam's Club where you pay a certain fee annually and in turn you get to take advantage of products and services that Sam's Club provides. For example, the, um, the, tasty samples that you get to try out as you walk through the store, or the opportunity to buy gummy bears the way that God intended, in five-pound bags. (laughs) It's also not membership as we would think of it maybe in the terms of like a country club, where again, we pay our dues, and in return, we receive benefits, uh, you know, swimming and golf and, and things of that nature. You see, the Bible, when it talks about the idea of being a member of God's church, uh, it's not described so much by its benefits, but a better understanding that we see in scripture is more by our identity. That being a member of God's church is not about, about its benefits, but more about our identity. And that our identity is shaped by our leader, Jesus Christ. And so we see this throughout scripture. We talked about this some last week. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12, where the church is described as a body of which we are many parts, whether an ear, a foot, a hand, of which Christ is the head, it says in Colossians 2.9. We are connected to Christ, the head of the body, and he holds the whole body together. And then from there, the Bible says that when it comes to being a member of Christ's body, that we live that out as family together. That that's another image that the Bible uses for what it talks about for us to be devoted together. Ephesians 2.19 puts it this way. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That we together, we are a household. We are a family. Jesus Christ himself 
teaching on this very point. He was actually teaching a large crowd of, uh, of people and his disciples. And on the outskirts of the crowd um, were his mother and his brothers, his biological mother and brothers. And the disciples are saying, hey, your mother and your brother, they're looking for you. To which Jesus takes that opportunity to teach on this very point. And he says this to those he's teaching around him in Mark 3.33. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And so we see that we as a church, we are family. We are brothers and sisters committed together in covenant. Uh, and covenant, that's a, that's a biblical word that says we're going to agree to be family together, that we're committed one to another, uh, that Jesus Christ is the head of our family, the head of his body, the head of his church. And so in two weeks from today, we're going to have the opportunity to, uh, for those of you who aren't committed to a local body of believers, to a church, you're going to have the opportunity to say, yeah, I'm in with God's church and God's church is in with me. I'm in with God's family and I want to be in this together. For others of you who have already taken that step and made that commitment, you could say it's going to be an opportunity for you to uh, kind of do a vow renewal. Like you've been, you've been a part of the life of the church for a long time and, and you're already all in with that, but it's, it's celebrating that this is something that's been a part of your life and you can more or less, you know, re-up and renew that, that commitment. But then there's going to be a third group of others that we want to recognize that you're just not ready to take that step. And in many ways, I'm, all, I'm, in, I'm the most encouraged by you because I just want to celebrate the fact that you're here. You're exploring, you're asking questions, you're still discovering more and more. What does it mean to follow Jesus and to be a part of his church? And so we want to continue uh, to encourage you in that journey uh, to discover more about who Jesus is and his church in that journey. So we're, wherever you're at in that journey, we are excited for you to take whatever it means for you to take the next steps in again, to use the metaphor in Hebrews, in that race marked out for you that wherever you're at, to fix your eyes on Jesus and continue to move closer and closer in your devotion and your understanding of who he is in your life. And so today what we want to look at is um, an opportunity, you could say, to what would be some, if, if we want to use the metaphor of a race or a marathon, what would be some mile markers or some checkpoints along the way to say, okay, these are indicators that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus and that we are running the race that he has marked out for us. And so in your uh, program, you'll notice an insert that says devoted together covenant on it. And this is a, really, a, you could say, a series of descriptors of mile markers as laid out in what you could say God's roadmap for our race, the Bible. And so all of these statements are a reflection of scripture of what does it look like to see, okay, we are on point, we are checking through these checkpoints that represent these are the kinds of things that it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at over really the next couple of weeks. And um, before we really dive into the specifics of that, I want to just say that the very first checkpoint or the first mile marker really is to say that I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that that's the first step, that you might be on your way to exploring that. And today you might be in the place where you've been attending, you've been checking out, okay, what is you know, Jesus and his church about? And you're ready to say, okay, I'm no longer gonna be the one who's leading my life. I'm gonna trust Jesus with that. And so you need to take that, maybe the first step of faith to say, okay, I'm in with Jesus and whatever the journey is from there. And then from there, the second mile marker, if you will, is as Pastor Jonathan said in this room and as we, Morgan said in the East Auditorium, is baptism. That baptism is the opportunity to participate in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 
Romans uh, 6, 4 says it this way when it comes to baptism. It says, we are buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may raise to new life. And so in baptism, we celebrate that we're, you could say, we're dying to our way of being in charge of life and we're rising to a new life where Jesus Christ is in charge. And so if you haven't taken that step in your faith, on February 4th and 5th, we're going to have a bunch of people who are going to celebrate that step by being baptized, taking that powerful step in their devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to the subject of baptism, it can and actually has been in the past an entire sermon in and of itself. And there's questions like, okay, for those of you who come from maybe um, you, you were infant baptized, you know, do I need to be rebaptized? And, you know, does that somehow make, you know, how does all of that work? Well, I want to encourage you to get the answers to your questions. We did a sermon here a number of years ago on the topic of baptism, and you can find that at firstdecatur.org beliefs that I trust will answer all of your questions when it comes to, uh, you know, where about my infant baptism and, and all these things, and do I need to be rebaptized? Uh, in fact, that particular day, we had no one scheduled to get baptized, and at the end of that uh, weekend, we had 35 adults uh, choose to get baptized as a result of the understanding that they got in that message. So I'd encourage you to check that out, and you can see that at firstdecatur.org slash beliefs. Okay? And then from there, we, we look at the covenant. Kind of following along in this, we see that these are the checkpoints that Scripture lays out. That we're going to be following uh, Jesus Christ by growing together, serving together, and worship. And next week, we're going to look specifically at the growing and serving together milestones. But today, we want to just briefly run through these ones under worship to really get a picture of what does it look like for us to worship God with our whole lives in these specific areas. And so if you want to follow along with me on this, this will kind of be our guide here this morning under the worship header there towards the bottom. And so the first way, the first mile marker, if you will, that represents a life of worship in um, as far as what it means for us to be devoted together, is by doing this, actually. By participating in weekly worship services together. The author of Hebrews reminds us how important this is in keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and the race marked out for us. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it'll be on the screens. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, that's pretty good instruction. And I think, go back one slide, sorry. Um, I think what's interesting is that I don't know that anyone wakes up one morning and it's like, you know, you know I've been running this race, devoted to Jesus Christ, fixing my eyes on him. But today, I think I'm going to go with the, quote, sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Nobody wakes up and does this. This is, this, this is not something that happens overnight. No, that is the effect of a reality of someone being disconnected from the family of God really you could say an amputated appendage uh, like Pastor Wayne talked about with the foot last week that we're separate from the body of Christ and so verse 13 in this passage goes on to encourage us so instead encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness and so that's why we gather weekly for worship, that we might encourage one another in the worship and the preaching of God's word, not giving up meeting together, as it says later in Hebrews chapter 10, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another in our faith. Okay? So that you could say is the first mile marker, that we are making this a regular part and a regular rhythm of our lives to be in worship together. All right? Another mile marker of worship in our lives is worship by giving generously. 
Now this too could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but just here in this moment, the fact that giving is tied to worship is an essential uh, reality to experiencing the joy of giving. Uh, as we read a little earlier in our corporate reading in both rooms, we recognize that the whole earth and heaven is the Lord's and everything in it. And from there, scripture reveals that the tithe, it's a word that literally means a tenth, is the starting place that we want to get to when it comes to giving. And it's an understanding that we're not giving to God 10% of the 100% that, that we have of our own volition, but instead, as, as the psalm says, that we already recognize everything's God's and that he's given it to us. And so really, we recognize that we are giving back 10% of the 100% that God has generously given us. I did a teaching on this a couple of years ago where I brought up uh, someone from the room and I did a college student in each service because I thought it was most helpful to them. But uh, I gave each person that came up in each of the services, I gave them $100 of, of my own money. Well, God's money, it doesn't matter, like I said. But I gave them $100 and I did it in tens. Um, so I felt like I was on let's make a deal. So I was like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. And so I gave uh, the college student $100, uh, gave it to him, and then I said, now would you give me back 10 of those dollars, give me one of those $10 bills back. And every time they're like, of course, that was easy. And the question was somewhat rhetorical in that in that transaction, in that situation, was I or was I not generous? You see, the perspective shifts when we understand the giver of all the good gifts that we have, that it is God that gives this to us in the first place. And so in my own life, when I tithe, when I give back 10% of the 100% of the, the gross income that God has blessed me with, I recognize, and this is, where I tr this is where the rubber hits the road for me, I truly believe that in worship, that God is the one who's worth everything and giving me anything from there, and truly trusting him, that he's gonna provide for me and my family, it's where I accept that God can do more with 90% blessed by him and my trust of him than I could do on my own with 100%. That was the aha for me, is that I really believe that God can do more with the 90% that he, he is going to bless than I would do with 100% on my own. And so it's in that space that we then experience the joy of trusting God and giving joyfully in worship. And so that's another mile marker that we move toward in our, in our worship, uh, in our devotion together. Okay, from there, uh, another mile marker is worship by praying for our church and mission that we worship by praying for our church and its mission. You know, from the first day I visited First Christian Church 14 years ago at the ripe old age of 22, I was struck right out of the gate by the evidence that this church uh, didn't just say it prayed, but it was the praying church it claimed to be. And there's lots of stories I could give you, but one way that we're gonna see that through again in this year, in 2017, is that on the week of February 6th and 10th, to start off this year right, we are calling the church to a week of prayer, uh, where each day we're gonna gather, um, have 30-minute gatherings of prayer, where we're expecting you in devotion together to come and pray together. And so each day we'll have three identical prayer experiences, 7 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m., to accommodate all schedules and for full participation. And just really an opportunity for us to recognize and say, you know, thanks be to God that we are part of a church that lives out being a praying church by actually praying together. And so we'll look forward to being together uh, those days in the weeks ahead.
Okay, so we worship by praying for our church and mission. Next mile marker is that we worship by sharing our faith and inviting the unchurched to attend. This is another mile marker in our race, uh, understanding that Jesus has marked it out for us. And here's the reality about this one. Every one of us is here today. Every one of us is here in this room today because someone, either in your life or your parents' life, or your great, 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 great grandparents' life, did this very mile marker. We are all here. Someone did this. They shared their faith and invited the unchurched to attend in your life, your parents' life, your great, great, great grandparents' life. They invited them to attend and to give God and his church a try. And so we are all here because someone did this. And now we have the same responsibility to not be a dead end. We don't want to be a cul-de-sac in our faith. We don't want to end here. We want to share that in the other's lives so that they too can change their life and generations to come by investing and inviting others into a journey of faith. I heard it put this way once. It was helpful to me that there are only, it's been said, two things that we can do here on earth that we can't do in heaven. To the question, okay, why aren't we just all in heaven right now? Um, you know, what, what is it that we can do here on earth that we can't do in heaven? And the two things that we can do, you know, we can obviously worship in heaven. We can do what, I don't know what great, you know, if there's wonderful golf courses, you know, we can do all that in heaven. But the two things that we can do here on earth that we can't do there is sin and share our faith with others. And so the obvious question is, or the obvious answer to the question which one of these two do you think we are here to do? And so that is why we are here. We are here because someone lived this out in our legacy's life, and we too have the opportunity to worship God by literally putting the worth of God on display by the way we live our lives and then inviting other people to be a part of that in their journey towards faith. Okay? And then lastly, we worship by, and this was really the all-encompassing one, the catch-all. It's kind of like the asterisk, other duties is assigned in a job description. This one covers it all. Lastly, we worship by striving to follow Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. That we want to worship God in every area of our lives, uh, Monday through Saturday, not just on a Sunday. And so in other words, when we think about the steps in our race, that we live, the kind of life that we live, whether, you know, we don't have six different races. You know, we don't have like our financial race, our family race, our health race, our emotional race, our hobby race, our career race, or rat race, or whatever you want to call it. And then over here, oh yeah, I got to make sure I have my Jesus race in order. No, that when we fix our eyes on Jesus and the race that is marked out for us, we are running one race. We are running one race marked out by the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then we want all the other areas of our life to come into line with that race. And so we have one race fixed on Jesus. And then we want Jesus to be the Lord, as it says, Lord over all of these things. We want to worship him in every area, in our finances, our health, our emotions, our hobbies, our family, our career. And that he is the Lord of all. He is, as the mile marker says, the Lord whom we follow, Jesus Christ, in every area of our life. And so as we race through, literally, these, uh, these, these mile markers, these checkpoints, um, to illustrate what's interesting when it comes to us running a race marked out for us by Jesus, uh, actually when it comes to not a metaphorical race, but when you think about actually 
running, physically running, um, say in an outfit like I might have, like a, a running shirt, running pants, maybe, or some running shoes, that what's interesting um, that I've come across is the growing popularity of people wearing clothes like this, workout clothes, but in all actuality, having no intention of actually working out or running. In fact, this understanding of dress has become an entirely new clothing category. I never heard of it until recently. It's called, are you familiar with this? Athleisure. Athleisure, I see some nods. Okay, I had not heard of this. And so athleisure, it combines the word athletics and leisure. But you might notice that it includes the entire word leisure and just a little bit of the part of the word athletics. It's an estimated $44 billion industry in the U.S. alone, athleisure. And Morgan Stanley projects that it will climb to over $350 billion worldwide by the year 2020. You see, and the reason that people are flocking to athleisure as a preferred way of clothing is, is also its great irony. And that the reason that people buy and purchase and, and, and want to wear athleisure is because, well, I'll be honest, it's quite comfortable. In 13 years of preaching, I have never been as comfortable as I am before you today. A little uncomfortable walking through the lobby wondering what people are thinking about me. But other than that, I'm as comfortable as you could possibly imagine. But do people who are wearing this clothing, they don't want to necessarily work out or run in the clothes because, well, running and working out is actually quite uncomfortable. And so you might look at someone wearing athleisure and you might think, hey, that person's getting ready to go for a run. No, they're not. They like to wear comfortable running clothes, they like to wear comfortable running shoes, but they have no intention of actually stepping into the discomfort of actually going for a run. And so we say all this to recognize we cannot help but draw the parallels to our spiritual understanding of our devotion together as a church. You see, all of us, we, we wanna be part of God's family. We want to be part of God's church. No one's turning that down. But for some, it only goes so far as to the extent at which we are comfortable. For some of us, it only goes to the extent to which we are comfortable. Because really, if we just take today in isolation, by all standards, whether sitting in a padded pew in the West Auditorium or a padded chair in the East Auditorium, attending here uh, for an hour on a Sunday occasionally, by all standards, is, well, pretty comfortable. But it's an entirely next level thing to lace up our shoes, step out of our comfort zones and actually get out there, pound some pavement and break a sweat in our commitment together and being devoted together for Jesus Christ and his church. And so as we look at these mile markers that have been laid out by scripture and has been condensed in this, this, this statement here, I imagine there's something in there that has caught your attention, that has, you've been distracted, that uh, something's been entangling you from fixing your eyes on Jesus in the race that he has marked out for you. Again, maybe it's just that first step of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe it's taking the step of baptism. Maybe it's growing together or serving together. Maybe it's committing to be here each week in worship, encouraging uh, by, by God's word and worship together, rather than, you know, it's been a while since we've been, we sh probably should get one in uh, this week. Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's giving generously and, and taking that big step to say, you know what, I do trust God with 90% uh, blessed by him than I'll do on my own with 100%. 
Maybe it's by stepping into more prayer in your life for God's church on your own, as well as together as a response to leadership to be uh, gathering for a week of prayer. Maybe it's stepping out and letting people know in your context, yeah, I follow Christ, and the life that you live represents that, and you invite them uh, on a journey of faith of their own to check out God and his church as well. Or maybe just zooming out, this understanding of striving to follow Jesus in every area of your life, that as you look at your everyday life, all the areas of your life, you recognize, you know, there's an area that I need to fix my eyes on Christ that I've been going my own way. And so looking again at this covenant, where is it that you need to shift from an athleisure approach to your faith and your journey in Christ to kind of get those comfy clothes, you know, to get them a little sweaty, get them a little stinky by stepping out and actually, again, pounding some pavement for what God is calling us to do in our devotion together to run the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes the entire time on what Jesus has for us. And so to that end, let me pray for us as God works and discovers this in our own lives. Father, we thank you that, um, we thank you, God, that the reality is, is when we think about our devotion to you, we will never be able to out-devote your devotion to us. And so we start there, and God, we ask that in our lives that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us the areas in our life that we have not fixed our eyes on you, that if there's one of these things that we need to take the next step, that we need to hit that mile marker, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us in the next steps that we need to take. And so God, we ask this of you, not in our own strength, but by yours, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.